0: S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Grandpa's Globe. Previously on Grandpa's Globe, during their trip to Switzerland, Sawyer and Susie came face-to-face with Luca, a member of the Nogard crime family. It turns out that the Dragon Organization is actually code for no Guard, one family causing all sorts of trouble. When the twins returned from their trip, they realized they had left the guidebook behind. And now for episode 10. Mexico. Don't worry, I got this, Sawyer said, holding a rolled up newspaper and glaring at a beehive above Grandpa's front door. Sawyer, this is a terrible idea, Susie said from the bushes. Just ring the doorbell and run back here. No, as your older brother, it is my responsibility to protect you. "'Sawyer, you're like two minutes older than me, and besides, I'm taller than you.' "'Shh!' Sawyer hushed. "'Height will not save you from these bees, Susie. "'It would only put your head closer to danger. "'Just duck down and let me take care of this.' "'Susie covered her eyes and ducked into the bush as Sawyer approached the buzzing hive. "'She was sure this was the end of her brother. "'After everything they'd been through, bees were going to be his downfall.' With the eyes of a crazy person, Sawyer pulled the newspaper back and swung. Just then, the front door opened and Grandpa poked his head out. Sawyer's swing missed the hive by a long shot, instead smacking Grandpa Boone across the cheek. Grandpa barely even flinched. Hello to you, too, he said with a blank expression. In the house, both of you. Quick, quick, quick. Sawyer and Susie ducked and ran into the house like they were taking cover from flying bullets. Ouch! Sawyer said before Grandpa could slam the door. Oh, shoot. Did you get stung? Grandpa asked, looking more frustrated than worried. I think so, Sawyer said, rubbing his bicep. It's just on the arm, though. Grandpa raised a bushy eyebrow. You're not allergic, are you? Uh, I don't think so. I've never been stung before. Grandpa put on his glasses and looked at his arm. "Eh, So far, so good. Let's keep an eye on it. I'm going to pretend I didn't just see you try to swat a beehive with a rolled-up newspaper. What were you thinking? Monday's paper's the best one of the week. I can't have it covered in beeguts. I'm sorry, Sawyer said, looking at the floor. Huh. "'Grandpa huffed and took the paper out of his hands and bonked him over the head with it. "'So much for telling your parents to have you two come through the side door. "'No, that'd be too easy, wouldn't it? "'Had you done so, I would have told you that the bee-man's coming to take care of the hive this afternoon.' "'Anything new from the globe?' Susie asked. "'Grandpa scratched the back of his neck. "'Well, it's finally spinning again.' After you two lost the guidebook, I thought it'd never send us on another mission. It's more forgiving than I thought. Or it's gonna punish us, Sawyer mumbled. That's the more likely scenario, Grandpa agreed. Susie was the only one excited about the news. Despite constantly being thrown into danger every time they used it, the Globe always seemed to bring them back safely— She was getting used to the thrill of globe trotting, and since the globe hadn't spun during their last couple of visits to Grandpa's, she was missing it. "'When do we go?' she asked. Grandpa shook his head. "'No wonder the globe chose you two. You inherited my crazy genes. It's ready for you now. I was going to have us eat dinner first, but it's cold since you spent the last half hour mustering the courage to smack me in the face with my favorite paper.' "'I said I'm sorry,' Sawyer repeated. "Yeah, yeah. Dinner can wait till we get back. "'It looks like the globe is going to let me come along for this trip. "'It doesn't stop spinning when I get close to it. "'My guess is the globe has finally found the guidebook "'and needs all three of us to get it back. "'Shall we?' "'He held a hand out, and the three of them went to the study. "'One by one, they approached the spinning globe, "'which was rotating so fast it was shaking the table.' Susie did the honors. (laughs) Their feet sank through the floor and dropped onto warm white sand. The one time I don't bring a snorkel, Sawyer complained. He had every reason to be disappointed. They looked out over a pristine beach setting. Snorkels bobbed up out of crystal clear blue-green water. Below them, a reef full of sea life shimmered with colorful fish and plants. Tourists sunbathed on chairs and napped in hammocks tied between palm trees. A server was making his rounds with a plate of pineapple drinks. Straw huts dotted the beach. Sawyer and Susie hadn't packed so much as a bathing suit. Hola, Americanos. Quieren tomales? came a voice behind them. They turned to see a sweet older woman standing behind a small cart. She had a dark complexion with black hair streaked with gray. She wore a beautiful red dress with fine flowered embroidery along the shoulders and under the neck. "'Hola, señora,' Grandpa called back in Spanish. "'Disculpeme, pero ¿dónde estamos?' The woman looked at them, surprised. "'Hombre, están en Cozumel. Bienvenido. Me llamo Dora.' "'Kip Boone,' Grandpa said, shaking her hand. "'Quieren tomales?' The woman repeated, "Soy muy muy delicioso." Tal vez. Un momento, por favor. Grandpa turned to Sawyer and Susie. I knew it. We're in Cosumel, Mexico. The one time I don't bring my swim trunks. What are swim trunks? Sawyer asked, confused. Grandpa ignored him. I wonder if the surf's good today. Cozumel is a small island off Mexico's eastern coast. I can't imagine why we'd be all the way on this side of the planet when you lost a guidebook in Switzerland. I love her dress, Susie said, admiring Dora's beautiful attire. It looked pretty and comfortable, like something she could wear on the beach or to a dance. Grandpa smiled. Ah, yes, it's called a San Antonio dress, or a Oaxacan wedding dress. If we get the guidebook back, I'll buy you one. Sweet! Uh, the lady's trying to tell us something, Sawyer said, nodding to the woman. Her name's Dora, and she's trying to sell us some tamales. Grandpa smiled at her and politely declined. No gracias. Dora didn't look satisfied by this response. Quieren tamales, she insisted. No, queremos tamales, gracias, Grandpa repeated, starting to get a little miffed at her persistence. Dora nervously looked both ways. Quieren tamales, son gratis. Gratis in English means free. Now she had their attention. She handed a few of her tamales to Grandpa. Confused, Grandpa took them. Lo amarillo es mi favorito, she said, nodding to the one in the middle. Grandpa unraveled the tamale. As he did, the ocean breeze carried the incredible smell to his nose. Grandpa loved tamales. They were the size of a small burrito, but made of masa or dough and filled with meat, then cooked in corn husk. As Grandpa unrolled the husk, he was surprised to see there was a note written on the inside. What's it say? susie asked noticing the writing herself it says that bad men are watching us he whispered she says to head for the boat at the nearest dock he looked up at dora who nodded seriously at him out of the corner of his eyes grandpa could see that some of the sunbathers were watching them they peeked over their drinks and books even a few of the snorkelers had surfaced just enough to stare at them like curious hippos. Gracias, Grandpa whispered to Dora. Let's go, he told the twins. Don't say a word, just walk quickly to the boat. As they walked towards the dock, the boat's engine started. The closer they got, the more interested the surrounding tourists became. A few of them had gotten to their feet. Grandpa and the kids walked faster. Several of the people were walking behind them now. Three snorkelers swam quickly for shore. The captain of the boat was untying the line holding the boat to the dock. Sawyer pointed at the departing boat. Ah! He shouted. Then he noticed the hand he was pointing with. It was swollen like an inflated rubber glove. Ah! He shouted again. Run! Grandpa ordered, grabbing their arms and sprinting for the boat. As they neared the dock, the stalking men ran after them. The boat was already a few feet from the dock when Grandpa jumped in, holding each of the twins' hand. The pursuing men either skidded to a stop at the dock or jumped and bounced off the side of the boat. Whoa, that was close, Susie said, ducking low. Grandpa held up Sawyer's fat hand. Not allergic? Hey, you're not the one with banana hands, Sawyer retorted. Despite their dramatic entry, the captain seemed to pretend not to notice them through the wheelhouse window. Instead, he stoically steered the boat away from shore. Leaving the danger behind, they cruised up the eastern coast of Mexico until they reached Cozacolcos. There the ship was docked and a shuttle was waiting for them. The captain of the boat not only didn't seem at all surprised to find them on board, but instructed them to get on the shuttle and told them it would take them where they needed to go. ''Don't question it,'' Grandpa told the twins. ''The globe works in mysterious ways. It's possible some of these good people know who we're up against and are trying to help.'' They climbed into the shuttle as instructed and were taken to Oaxaca. The city was spectacular. Historic colonial buildings and bright-colored homes lined the streets. Vibrant murals were painted on some of the walls, depicting events in the region's history. The lush Sierra Madre de Oaxaca mountains filled the views between buildings. Grandpa took in a deep breath. Ah, Oaxaca. She's beautiful, isn't she? So diverse, so rich in culture. Cortez and the Spaniards colonized the region— but there are 16 groups of indigenous or native people who've been here since long before them, all with their own unique culture and language. You know, while we're here, I might need to grab me some chocolines, they're barbecued grasshoppers, or some chocolate. Oaxaca is Mexico's main producer of chocolate. I don't want to see chocolate for a very, very long time. Susie said, briefly reliving their insane chocolate adventure in Switzerland. Suit yourself, Grandpa said. I wish you kids could be here for Dia de los Muertos. No one does it quite like Oaxaca. What's Dia de los Muertos? Sawyer asked. In English, it's called the Day of the Dead, Grandpa explained. Sounds lovely, Sawyer said sarcastically. It is... It's a Mexican holiday where family and friends come together to remember and honor their loved ones who have passed away. It is a celebration of life and death. You've probably seen the symbol of the holiday back home in early November. The calavera, or skull, that is usually decorated with flowers. Some paint their faces to look like a calavera. Then there's papel picado which are elaborate designs cut out of colorful paper that are hung over the streets. Yes, it's a sight to behold. You would have loved it, Susie. There are parades with candy, music, and dancing. Families erect altars for those who have passed, and adorn them with ofrendas or offerings, such as candles, pictures, flowers, favorite toys and foods, that sort of thing. "'And then there's the sugar skulls. Mm. "'Uh, Grandpa?' Sawyer interrupted. "'Grandpa and Susie gasped as they noticed Sawyer's huge, swollen arm. "'It looked like he was slowly transforming into a silverback gorilla. "'Maybe we should try to hurry so we can get back home and fix this?' Sawyer suggested. "'Good idea,' Grandpa agreed. "'Hola, amigos!' came a cheery voice across the street." They looked and saw a handsome Mexican gentleman standing in front of a restaurant. Pasen, pasen, amigos. Lo siento, Grandpa said back to him. No tenemos tiempo. Free food for the Americanos, the man insisted. He looked both ways. Trust me, you want to try my tacos. Grandpa recognized the man's sneaky look from the one Dora had given him earlier. "'Right,' he said, glancing over his shoulders. "'I think we'd better stop for a quick bite.' "'But, Gramps,' Sawyer started. "'No question, Sawyer. Remember, trust the globe.' They entered the man's restaurant and were seated near a window. Almost immediately, steaming plates were set before them, As an appetizer, they were given elote, which is cooked corn served with chili powder, salt, butter, lime, cheese, and mayonnaise. It was loco delicious. Sawyer was served pork tacos made with homemade corn tortillas. In front of Susie sat a heaping bowl of mole poblano, a rich sauce made from various chilies and chocolate, poured thick and hot over tender chicken. Grandpa was served tamales, his favorite— which looked and smelled oddly familiar. He stared at the one in the middle. After looking around, he picked it up and unwrapped it. Sure enough, there was writing inside the husk. It read, Palacio de Bella Arte, Mexico City. You will find what you seek there. Grandpa looked up to see Dora, the tamale lady, waving at him from the kitchen. Holy moly, Grandpa muttered. "'What is it?' Susie asked. Sawyer was still trying to figure out how to pick up his fork with his ginormous sausage fingers. The restaurant owner came up and left something on the table for them. "'Your check, señor,' he said. "'Here's a little something to say gracias for tasting my food. I'm sure you will enjoy the show.' Grandpa looked down and saw three tickets to the Palacio de Bella Arte. "'We're going to Mexico City.' "'Grandpa said, grabbing his things. "'The bus ride to Mexico City took forever. "'By the time they made it to their destination, "'both of Sawyer's arms looked like those of an Olympic weightlifter. "'The bulging limbs drew stares and whispers from the kids in the streets. "'Sawyer would have called them out for it, "'but he knew they wouldn't understand him. "'Instead, he tried to focus on their surroundings. "'Unfortunately, they didn't get to explore much of Mexico City.' But from what they could tell, it was an exciting place. The country's capital was the perfect blend of old and new, with beautiful colonial architecture mixed with tall modern skyscrapers. Right in the heart of it was the Palacio de Bellas Artes. The historic theater lived up to its name, looking every bit like a palace with its orange domed roof, capping off the structure like a giant seashell. Ornate columns lined its exterior, and beautiful sculptures stood watch over its entrance and courtyard. The inside was equally impressive, with its granite columns, stained glass, paintings, and grand staircase. Grandpa and the twins took their seats in the main theater. Shortly after they sat down, the lights dimmed and the show began. They couldn't have timed it any better— Sawyer and Susie were surprised to see four gentlemen in black walk out onto the stage. They wore wide-brimmed hats called sombreros, and each of them held an instrument, a guitar, a trumpet, a violin, and a smaller guitar called a vihuela. Both of the twins were expecting some grand opera performance in such a majestic hall, not a rinky-dink four-man band. All of their doubts, however, melted away the second the mariachi band started to play. The music was harmonious, playful, and beautiful all at once. Susie imagined herself twirling around on stage next to them, wearing Dora's colorful Oaxacan wedding dress. Sawyer imagined himself swinging from the balconies like an orangutan with his huge ape arms. Meanwhile, Grandpa couldn't help but eavesdrop on the conversation taking place in the balcony seats right next to them. I understand, but it needs to get there tonight, said one of the men in Spanish. We're running out of time. I am told there is someone in pursuit, someone set on stealing the family's most precious cargo yet. But why is it so precious, said another voice. It is just a book. Shh, hushed the other man. "'Grandpa's heart started to race. "'You know that with the Nogards it's never just a book,' the first man scolded. "'It's said to be a powerful artifact, capable of unimaginable things. "'Clearly you aren't taking this assignment seriously enough. "'If you can't help us secure the package, then you are of no use to the family.' "'No, no, 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 no. The book is very important to me, too,' the other man quickly assured. "'We will get it to the destination safely.' You have my word. We will store it until tomorrow's pickup. Good. The Chichen Itza usually closes to the public around five. Make sure it's there no later than 5.30. The dragon will not be disappointed. For your sake, I should hope not. After the mariachi band's last song, Grandpa rushed the kids out of the theater. Susie tried to keep up with Grandpa's quick march. Whoa, Grandpa, what's the hurry? I wanted to get a picture with the band. "'Nobles of nonsense,' came the slurred words from Sawyer's mouth. He went cross-eyed as he tried to look down at his swollen tongue. "'Don't worry, I've got something for that back home,' Grandpa said, patting his shoulder. With two fingers pinched between his lips, he whistled for a cab. Immediately, one screeched to a stop next to them. Grandpa opened the door for Susie. "'I know where the guidebook is.' he said with a smile. As they sat in the back seat of the cab, Grandpa told the twins about their next destination. The Chichen Itza, meaning at the mouth of the well of the Itza people, was an ancient Mayan city, one of their largest. It is thought to have been built around 600 A.D., over 1,400 years ago. It was home to a diverse population of many skilled people, and it is considered one of the new seven wonders of the world. Whoa, 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 stop here, he told the cab driver. They stopped just short of the normal drop-off. Grandpa pointed out his window. Outside, the four members of the mariachi band they had just watched were walking quickly towards El Castillo, the main temple. One of them carried a small briefcase that looked important. What are they doing here? Susie asked. And how did they get here before us? Grandpa slowly looked at their cab driver, who was nervously fiddling with the broken radio, and caught Grandpa's scowl. Uh, No lo se, I I don't know, I, I took the quickest route here. Grandpa rolled his eyes. Sure you did. Come on, kids, stay close. Sawyer and Susie followed Grandpa as they trailed the mariachi band up to the Mayan ruins, they passed through two thick walls known as the ball court, a sort of ancient basketball court for the Mayans. Sawyer and Susie gawked at the amazing old stone structures as they walked. The temple, the pillars, the steps. The architecture was incredible and still holding up quite well considering its age. Finally, they reached El Castillo, or the Temple of Kukulkan. It was a magnificent square pyramid made of stone stacked high above them. They watched as the mariachi band walked down steps leading below ground, just before the castillo. Keeping their distance, Grandpa and the twins followed. They were led down to a series of narrow stone passageways and rooms. Susie almost gasped when they came to the room where the band had stopped. Grandpa covered her mouth and pulled them out of sight. Hundreds of colorful piñatas, the papier-mâché containers kids bash open during birthday parties, hung from the ceiling. The biggest of the band members crammed the small briefcase into one of the piñatas and pulled it up high next to the others. Immediately the twins lost sight of it. All the piñatas were the same. You've done good, said a mustached man in a black suit. Grandpa recognized his voice from the theater. The man handed each of the band members money. Even if you try to tell someone what you've delivered here today, which I strongly suggest that you don't, These rooms are full of piñatas, and we move them around daily as goods wait to be delivered. The odds of you grabbing the wrong one are very high. That is if you're lucky enough to make it out with one. Comprenden? Si, replied the band members anxiously. Sawyer's swollen mouth was starting to wheeze. His nostrils were swollen shut, and his big fat tongue had turned his airway into a whistle every time he exhaled. The mustached man and the band members jerked their heads towards the sound, the band members holding their instruments like bats at the ready. Come out if you want to live, the mustached man said with a sinister grin. Grandpa and the twins sheepishly shuffled out into the room. The mustached man raised an eyebrow. Tourist who took the wrong turn, I suppose? Uh, That's right, Grandpa confirmed. We'll just be on our way. The man rubbed his forehead. You Americans and your terrible sense of direction. Grandpa pulled the twins towards the exit, but Susie resisted. We're not going anywhere without the guidebook, Susie said defiantly, raising her fist to fighting position. Sawyer followed suit, lifting his giant swollen hands and struggling to make them look even remotely like a fist. The mustached man and the band looked at each other in surprise. Suddenly, Grandpa threw a little capsule at the feet of the band that exploded into a thick cloud of smoke. Get the piñata, he shouted. (laughs) Sawyer and Susie ran for the piñatas, jumping for them and then quickly ducking as the band members swung their instruments blindly into the smoke. The violinist swung wide and accidentally clonked the guitarist upside the head, making him drop his guitar. Sawyer picked it up and used it to swing at the piñatas. (coughs) <coughs> Get them, you fools! The mustache man yelled between coughs. He and Grandpa struggled over the ropes, Grandpa trying desperately to cut them so the pinatas would drop, but the man held him off. Whoosh smack! Whoosh smack! went the guitar as Sawyer slammed it into the colorful pinatas. A couple of his back swings accidentally but conveniently bonked a couple of the band members as they reached for him. Poof! Poof! A couple of the piñatas exploded, one of them bursting with candy, the other spewing papers. "'Quieren tamales?' shouted a voice through the commotion. The group paused and squinted through the smoke to see Dora, the tamale lady, standing with a bag full of tamales ready to throw her first steaming husk. The mustached man looked especially terrified at this. "'Quieren tamales?' Dora insisted." With that, she threw the hot husks into the smoke like an MLB pitcher. The tamales blurred from her hands, pelting the band members and making them drop to the ground for cover. Only the mustached man was left, his hands held high in surrender. Grandpa untied the ropes, holding the pinatas up, making them all drop to the floor. Sawyer continued to bash them on the ground like they were attacking rats. "'Sawyer,' Grandpa said. "'Sawyer!' Sawyer finally stopped and looked up. That's enough. Dora, mi amor, the mustache man said. My love, I I can explain. Silencio, Dora commanded. She looked at Grandpa. You need to leave here immediately. My guard at the door says black cars are pulling up. My truck is outside waiting to take you back into the city. Take what you need and go. Quick, we'll each grab one and open them later, Grandpa ordered. He and the twins grabbed a piñata and ran out the back of the castillo. Sure enough, Dora's truck and driver were waiting outside. The driver was the restaurant owner from Oaxaca. Hola, amigos, he said cheerily. Taking only back roads, he drove them quickly back into the city. Grandpa stared nervously at the clock in the truck as it ticked dangerously close to 4 a.m., he pulled his pocket knife from his pocket. Well, here it goes. He jabbed the knife into the piñata and tore it open. Candy trickled out. Disappointed, he handed the knife to Susie, who took a deep breath before stabbing her piñata. They groaned. Confetti. Sawyer was last. His fat hand fumbled with the knife. Grandpa's eyes bounced between the piñata and the truck clock, which now said three fifty-nine. Three fifty-nine. They were almost to the main plaza where the clock tower was. One more turn to go. Sawyer raised the knife. The clock clicked. Look out the window, Grandpa shouted. The truck sped around the corner into the plaza just as the clock tower dropped onto the floor. Gong. Gong. The truck crumpled around them and then vanished, leaving them rolling into darkness, tumbling with a furious speed until they plopped onto the couch in Grandpa's study. They sat for a moment, hair frizzled, waiting to catch their breath. Don't give me that, Susie said, taking the piñata from Sawyer. They all stared down at it in anticipation. Susie jabbed into it and pulled the torn pieces away. Inside was the briefcase. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha! Grandpa cheered. We got it! We got it! I knew it! Susie opened the briefcase to reveal the guidebook and a stack of documents. The three of them danced around the room in celebration. <laughs> <sweet> Grandpa and Susie stopped dancing when they noticed the frolicking flesh pillow next to them. Sawyer had ballooned to the size of a giant cabbage patch doll. Every feature in his face was squished to the center. "'Why did we stop?' he asked through pursed lips. "'Can you tell I'm smiling?' "'I'll grab the medicine,' Grandpa said, running to the bathroom." Susie sat Sawyer down carefully and then thumbed through the rest of the briefcase's contents while they waited. Underneath the guidebook were documents stamped with the symbol of the dragon. The documents had maps and details of the dragon's operations. After flipping through a handful of pages, Susie stopped. Holy moly, she said slowly. What? Sawyer asked between fat cheeks. Susie looked at him and smiled. We've got their secret plans. and recording this episode really made me want to go to Mexico. And having grown up in Arizona, I'm shocked I didn't go more. The one time I did go, I went to Tijuana as part of my trip to my great-aunt and uncle's house in San Diego, and it was really cool. My purpose with Grandpa's Globe is to not try to encapsulate a country's extremely rich culture and history into 20, 30 minutes, but to pique your interest Basically give you a tiny taste of what's there so you can investigate more for yourself. Maybe do a country report for school and discover more about it. I hope you are all enjoying the shows. Because I have many other exciting series planned for the future. As well as more episodes of the existing shows, of course. I'd love to hear what you think so far. Leave me a review on iTunes or on Facebook. I want to know, is it working your imagination That is my ultimate goal. Yeah, you might learn a thing or two about a country or earth science or astronomy or a life lesson. But ultimately, I want to engage those creative muscles and make you use your imagination. I strongly believe that that is where the true value lies. I'm not going to lie. It has been a lot of work doing these stories, doing everything myself. Because if you think about it, I'm essentially creating an original audiobook every week as opposed to a simpler interview podcast format. It's not that I don't love those podcasts. I do. This format is just very, very labor-intensive. It's very involved. It's scripting. It's narrating. It's editing. So I enjoy it. I do. I enjoy it a lot, and there are so many benefits for the kids. And I don't feel like I've done a very good job of going over what those benefits are, so here are just a few of them. Like I said, it helps your child develop their imagination, since they're having to picture what's happening as opposed to watching it on a screen. These stories also improve their vocabulary and their understanding of the words. They help kids cope with long journeys when traveling. They introduce children to new genres of literature, They develop listening skills as they require quiet concentration. They help with literacy because it helps them understand complex language, punctuation, and enunciation, especially if they're following along in the read aloud. Hearing the story read aloud helps bring meaning out of the text. They actually help your child read more difficult books, stories above their reading level. They can actually spark an interest in reading and are amazing tools for kids with dyslexia or other reading disabilities. And of course, it helps with reluctant readers, those who have maybe fallen out of love with the reading process. I myself am a reluctant reader. I completely identify with this group. I really have to push myself to sit down and read a book. And so I have to make a goal of it every night to read a certain amount. Because I love it, but I had gone such a long time not reading that it was hard to get back into the groove. I remember, I think it was around 3rd or 4th grade, right around I think when the 4th Harry Potter book came out, that I got about 20 or 30 pages into the book and saw how many more pages I had to go and just gave up. It was pretty pathetic. Oh, it was such a bummer because those books are amazing. And at the beginning, my mom started reading me those books And so my early memories of Harry Potter are those magical images that my mom brought to my mind when she read to me before bed. So after that fourth book of Harry Potter, I went a super long time without reading. And it's something that I continue to have to push myself to do. So reluctant readers out there, I feel your pain. And I hope these stories are helping you recapture that love for reading and for stories. In the end, I hope that you guys are having fun with them. I have so many great memories of amazing storytellers when I was a kid, people who came to the school and told us stories and just transported me to another place. So I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that there's a little spark of that uh, in some of these stories for you guys. So thank you so much for listening and for supporting this podcast and for tuning in every week. Don't forget to check back next Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.